Hey Rachel. Hey Ryan. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good. <laughs> I'm feeling very well, Rachel. Where? Yum yum. Well, maybe <laughs> we'll find out. We're here talking about Star Trek Discovery. We're on our rewatch. We are now up to episode four, fifth, fourteen, thirteen. Thirteen. We're up to lucky number thirteen of the first season of Star Trek Discovery. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the energy of the show. I feel like we've finally got the rhythm of our own podcast show, but also this show that we are watching. Yum yum, maybe. But the show itself definitely has yum yum energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yum the, yum. The energy of yum yum is high. It's very high, high in this room and high in this episode. Yum yum, of course, being an iconic line of dialogue from Star Trek Discovery Season 2. And what a line. That line, it is a line. Someone wrote it, someone read it, someone approved it, someone had to read it in the script reading process, then someone had to act it out, and then someone, being us, had to adopt the name for a podcast. So, Rachel, I'm very, very um, keen... You can tell by my rhythm, I'm very keen to talk about this episode. So how about you inform us all on the details? So this episode is entitled, What's Past is Prologue? Very Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. And the description that IMD offers up for this episode. IMD? IMDB. Okay, cool, cool. Sorry. I thought you just said in the episode offered up on IMD is. <laughs> I'm like, no. IMDB. International movie. Internet movie database. What am I even? <laughs> I forgive. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Lorca plans to move forward with a coup against the Emperor, propelling Burnham to make a quick decision to save not only herself, but the USS Discovery. That is a somewhat vague, misleading synopsis, but the bare bones are there. You think when your episode puts life in every single universe at stake, they would reference that in the description of the episode? No, that was very minor in the actual plot, though. That was like a driving force, but it wasn't the big plot. So No. But you think that they would care a little bit more than they do. So, Rachel, how did you feel about this episode on the rewatch? I was still confused because I I didn't get swept up in it as much as I think that the show was hoping that I would. So, just at various points, I was like, okay, you're still trying to say that this is in the same... World is Kirk and Spock. Kirk and Spock. You're, TOS. So, so you're getting hung up on some of the timeline issues this episode. Yes, but also. But we are in a different universe in this the episode. The random science jargon. Techno babble. Of. Warp bubble. Yeah. Soul graft. Soul graft. Uh. Psyche graft. Um, well, we got no Ash Tyler this episode. Thank so. Christ. I'm living proof that fate is real. So a lot of this season has swept things under the rug, right? But now I'm walking over that rug and I've just tripped over like a, a mound and a couple of dead bodies <sighs> and I'm like... I can't ignore what's under the rug anymore. And you need to see what's under there. <laughs> but I'm also, I, I'm a bit I'm too scared to look quite yet. So um, okay. But so, I, I I I think doing this particular podcast session with you will will force me to look under the rug a little bit more, or at least like feel. Well, around. when you say it sweeps stuff under the rug as a show, what do what are you referring to exactly? Uh, what are things that I you mean? I mean, like 
all of the things that we've referenced of like them being like fast forward on things where it's just like, okay, we were acknowledging that and moving on. So there's we're gonna say some techno babble and we're science talk and we're moving on and it just lifts up the rug and it goes under. Okay. And so for this episode that issue is what's really holding you is is the rushing through of the science and yeah. the the kind of it's just like we, uh, mechanical we need... explanation of stuff like how they solve the plan to go back to our universe yeah, and that kind of like stuff is all vague. Need, we, we need to do this thing, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we're going to force it to happen and like they don't even know what they're saying what most bubble? of the time. I, okay, I felt very middle of the road on this episode. There was nothing truly atrocious. Yeah, it didn't make There me was angry. nothing that made me angry. There was nothing in the actual episode that I would say, why did we need this? Why did they execute it in this fashion? Everything, Everything in this episode vin- needed to happen. And they did happen, but <laughs> there is the thing that you mentioned, which was we were not swept up in it as much as the drama wanted us to and unfortunately a lot of the dramatic heft a lot of the poetic metaphors and allegories and meanings did not fully impact us we noticed them Mm -hmm. but we didn't really soak them in like last episode well at least for myself last episode i soaked in a lot more of the themes and the more deeper nuanced stuff that the show wanted me to and i actually did this episode it wasn't as if I didn't see them, they were there, but I didn't really find them as investing as previous episodes, especially the yeah. last episode. I found the episode beautiful to look at. They had some really nice yeah. shots. The spinning of the camera stuff was very prevalent in the episode, but they did have some eye-catching imagery, some stunning visual aesthetic choices with the lighting. Some of the fight scenes were actually okay um, to look at. The VFX artists, because they truly do the best that they can. Mm. And in this episode in particular, there are quite a few shots where you get actually get to appreciate their work because they've clearly had enough time to actually work and develop things. Mm. Um, though, the, those Sparks comes back. Your favourite character, Sparks. They really showed up this episode. Yeah, huh? they, they One do, of Star Trek but... Discovery's best characters, Sparks, that fall off the we roof for no their reason. friend, Smoke. Smoke and Sparks, but Lindsay Flair was a little prevalent too much for me this episode. Yes. Okay. Lindsay Flair, calm down, please. Okay, obviously, because spoilers are abound, I want to skip ahead to a moment. Because um, this stands out to me, because we've asked many times, who is this show for? And that's in reference to the fact that for people who are not familiar with Star Trek and the canon of Star Trek, this show fully dives into very nuanced, very minor references that the general pop culture sphere aren't fully aware of. Like, yeah, you know Spock, but do you know Section 31? Do you know this? Do you know that? No. This show doesn't do a good job, for our point of view, of ingratiating the newcomers into understanding that. But also, for us old-timers, people who are familiar, you get pissed off because it doesn't line up, it doesn't make sense. Who's this show for? Okay. One thing that I don't often question in Discovery is what is this meant to make me feel? Because mm, usually they it give... It very much lets you know. They give no space for it. But there was a moment in this episode where I was like, hmm, I don't know exactly how I feel about this moment. And the show doesn't cram it down my throat too much. Mm. Uh, you may disagree, but that is my question to you is how did you feel and how do you think you were meant to feel when Lorca dies? Oh, okay. So this is the interesting part of the episode. I remember it stuck with me when Lorca died the first time simply because Michael proposes to him something he had not thought about, which was 
Starfleet would have helped you. We would have assisted you. We would have treated you with um, generosity because he does not believe in those things. And when he actually hears that from Michael, the reaction from him is he realizes that was true. And he realizes that Michael is, at least from my interpretation of his facial reaction, that this Michael is a good like isn't what he had expected like yeah. he he isn't she isn't what she was molded into by him and i love the fact that he dies and he tries to like get something from her and she just steps aside and lets him flop on the ground because at the end of the day lorca was uh, a, a figure of toxic masculinity and he was a piece of shit yeah. and he just dies like a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I found it a little bit too melodramatic that he falls into the mycelial network thing. Mm -hmm. Ha ha ha, poetic justice. He hates poetry. That was already set up. And this poetic justice because he gets killed by the thing he used to... The thing he weaponized in our universe, he gets killed by that thing, or at least he gets incinerated by that, the weaponized version of that in his own universe. And that was... A little too on the nose or a little bit too melodramatically done, especially the music. But I understand why it's there. I didn't mind his death, but um, what about it do you not like about him? What about it is it that you say, who's this show for when it comes to that? Uh, Well, I I just wanted to bring that up in more in contrast to this particular thing. Like, it does... Because the show overall, a lot of the time, doesn't know what it wants to do in the grander scale, but it does a lot of good, a lot better at being the specific moments and. Um, it's very really much obsessed with moments more yeah. so than the whole. So that's why I was a little bit surprised that they didn't. It didn't feel as milked as maybe it could have been the moment when he dies because scenes about Giorgio. Yeah, it's it's about Giorgio, but it's also about Michael and Isn't it always the idea of like him possibly being capable of some kind of redemption. But because this isn't a Starfleet universe it really mm. is driving home that this is the world and the ideals of the Terrans. I don't believe that he would have been capable of any form of redemption because he did not fulfill that by his time in our universe. He saw nothing of yeah, the he... merits of it in our universe, and I don't think he would ever really have learned because the version, the true Lorca we get... Yeah. Does not seem capable of adaptation. And even though that was his whole journey throughout the story in our universe, was him seemingly adapting Mm -hmm. to his environment. What we learn is he can't actually do that. And what he highlights when he gets the chance to speak to the crew is that I changed you to be more like me. I want you to know that my admiration for you was and is sincere. I look at you, I see a formidable unit of soldiers that I sculpted. I thought for a second that any of you were capable of relinquishing this cult-like devotion to the Federation. I'd enlist your skills today. We are not interested in your sentiments. The weakness of this episode for me, and I and I knew it the first time I watched it, and it was prevalent this time I watched it, the huge weakness of the story comes from the fact that Lorker is at the center of the story. This is his conclusion. Is it a satisfying one? No, not necessarily. And it's not because he dies and not because he, the way he dies. Mm -hmm. I found Lorker from day one of watching it. As soon as he does the flip, the reveal that he's evil. Yeah. He is... The real Lorca, as I wrote, evil Lorca, in my notes, is boring. He is not as nuanced. He is not as intricate. He is not as fascinating as the Lorca we had throughout the show. The Lorca that 
we take for granted that there are people out there that watch the show and didn't realize that yeah. Lorca was supposed to be an evil captain. They thought he was a morally gray or, or you know, a good guy, but he doesn't do it by the books. And we take that for granted, but we always knew he was some form of evil. Yeah. I feel sorry because that whole character that we had before the flip, all these nuances, all these... You know, is he mentally unstable? Is he right about the nature of war? All that stuff is completely drained away from when he becomes evil, and he is reduced to a megalomaniacal zealot figure who believes in nothing but destiny and fate, and we don't fully get a look into his perspective of what destiny and fate truly is. We get the whole fact that he believes everything happens for a purpose, but it is just that generic level of villain believes they are destined for greatness. It never gets deeper than that. He's not a Lex Luthor type. He's not that type of figure. I would have associated him with, say, uh, uh, General Patton. General Patton believed in in lots of spirituality, faith, destiny stuff, but he was a war tactician. And that was an interesting nuance in that real-life figure and the movie version of that real-life figure. And there was nuances there, there was depth, there was conflicting things. But with Lorca, as soon as he's villain, he lays on the southern accent thick, he makes really pig-headed dumb decisions, he's, they're combining his, yeah. his tactician nature with super-ego, and the ego outweighs that smart tactician we met. For instance, throughout the episode, he gets hoisted on his own potato lot because he loves broadcasting on the ship. Yeah which is something he did throughout this season. But when he was doing it, it wasn't, to me, an act of supreme ego, of him wanting to hear his own voice, for him performing. It was always a move that a tactician was making. He would broadcast and make these speeches to indoctrinate people or to instill fear in them or to guilt them. But in this, they take that and they just use it of, oh, he's egotistical. And there's no yeah. interesting layers to Even the though... real Lorca. The fake Lorca was far more interesting. Even though they keep on saying that he's doing it for tactical reasons, like he's pretending to be here, he's trying to track her there. He wants you to come here. and But ideologically speaking, it wasn't that. It wasn't as nuanced. And so the weakness of the episode for me is... The antagonist of the episode is a weak duplicate of the actual interesting character, Lorca. And I'm supposed to fear him, care about him, worry that he's going to do something to our precious character of Michael and the crew of the Discovery, and you don't care. You don't feel the menace or the threat. You might feel the... the, the feeling of the rug being pulled out from underneath you if you didn't expect the twist, but he plays it out as a generic villain. If this was a yeah. any other Star Trek villain, he would not be that remembered. It, it's uh, He's just a mustache-twirling guy who believes himself to be a great leader. And is that as interesting as the morally gray tactician captain who would push the crew to deadly extremes to get results? No. I do think that it's interesting the way that both sides of the story play out with Lorca and Lorca's experience and him getting back his crew and the crew of Discovery. Um, they both have the attitude of we will not accept a no-win situation. But Discovery is working the problem, whereas part of Lorca's downfall is that he thinks because he is fated and it is his destiny that there is no way that he can fail. Mm. So he overlooks things. And because he's blinded by what he considers to be love. Yeah. Because he loves Michael in whatever way, shape, or form a a person like him can love. And the balance of that theme is done, uh, I I think, fairly well. No, I agree. I think it's done fairly well, but the problem is, do you care about how it's executed? Like, do you care about Lorca's stuff? Not really. He just is 
generic. No, like especially because it's just like okay, well, Giorgio has been ousted as emperor. Uh, the coup has lost its leader. So, but we also have no investment in what happens to the Terrans. No, they just get blown up, so it's okay. Yeah, you do have an investment because if they get to live and escape or whatever, they're going to keep using this technology that yeah, will kill but, everyone yeah, in the universe, but in all St- universes. Stamets has already been killed and all of his research was on that ship, so there's no possibility of the Terrans really reconnecting to the mycelial network. They have Landry... Way. The big, great character of Landry, she's back. But she got blown up. No, but I'm talking about if they didn't blow them up. (laughs) You're talking about the threat is, what are the Terrans going to do? That's why they have to destroy that ship, because then that kills off the actual threat that the Terrans are posing, which is, did you get it? If If we keep exploiting these resources, we're not going to get them back, and all we're going to do is, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you... Get it? Oh, what? That we're poisoning. Are you, are you trying the world to say that there's an environmentalism mission? Mission. If here? we try to keep Message. exploiting natural resources, we're going to in fact destroy the nature, and then we're going to be dead. Did you get it? I thought the network could regenerate itself. Typically, it does, but this process is poisoning it, it's spreading infection back up into the system. Without a fresh supply of spores, it'll only get worse. The Terrans must be aware of this flaw. It's not sustainable. I don't think sustainability is their main objective, but it does provide them with far more energy than I ever thought possible, enough to run their city-sized ship and power weapons that can destroy a planet. As they did on Harlock. How can a people be so short-sighted? Well, the Terrans are egotistical enough to believe that they can replenish this resource before it collapses. I found one of the disappointment factors is... Lorca has an interesting perspective as an antagonist when he does become antagonist about what he thinks of our universe. He says it in a monologue uh, to Saru, I do believe, and the crew, and you mentioned it a bit. Interesting perspective because, or, or to Michael, whichever one, he has this perspective of... We are a foolish, you know, it's a foolish endeavor to try and band all these people together because the strong will survive and and, and the yeah, strong need a, to lead. A and doomed experiment, which it's is... It's a social experiment, um, and you guys are failing at it. Harkening back to a lot of the stuff that the Klingons have said throughout the season as And, well. you know, real-world stuff like critiques of the League of Nations and United Nations and so on of... You know, eventually you're going to fall victim to uh, an unknown chaotic force, aka the Klingons, and your unity and your peace and your, you know, all that is actually what's going to weaken you, and you guys aren't as strong, and being strong is what's important, and that obviously connects to the Trump allegory stuff that the episode wants to shove in your face. I think there's an interesting thing to be said there, because from his perspective, as an outsider, it is that. Here is this great Federation and Starfleet, and just a rogue Klingon sect has completely got them on their knees, and him... As an outsider, as a warrior from uh, this universe, he is the only one that's actually doing anything about it, because as the show has set up... Discovery is the only ship that's actually making any real dents, like dents in the effort in the war. Yeah. So it further justifies his beliefs, yeah. his cause as an individual. That is such an interesting point of view for an antagonist because obviously we know he's deluded because we like Starfleet. Mm-hmm. But from his perspective, from what he's witnessed, from what he's garnered and gained, he's completely right. These random Klingons have got the mighty Federation, a power that is, you know, huge on their knees because to him they are weak, they're indecisive. Wonderful point of view for an antagonist. Could be really nuanced and deep and it could have been a thing throughout the whole series, which it has been in a way, but by the time we get to him fully 
you know, philosophizing about it. He's doing it in a broad southern accent. He's on a view screen or he's speechifying like a dictator, like a zealot. And you don't care about his point of view. Whether it is interesting or not, you don't care about it. It is just, oh, that's bad guy talk. And your brain shuts off and it doesn't really care about what a, what is that saying about the Federation or our universe is there a point he's making? At the end of it, his character dies, and everything that that character was bringing up as an idea with his appearances throughout the series and in that monologue just gets wiped clean. It's kind of forgotten about, or it feels like we've pressed the reset button because now the good guys are in charge. But the good guys throughout the season have been contaminated by a bad guy, but hey, whatever. Make the Empire glorious again. Don't think about it. Acknowledge it. It was there. But we're moving on. We're not going to explore the ramifications of any of that. Yeah, there is a lot of... Here's this thing. Yeah, whatever. And the huge weakness is Lorca is just... He's there and then he dies. And you kind of feel like... What was his purpose throughout the whole story arc? And his purpose was to make Michael a hero at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. But was there anything else here? Was there a commentary he had bestowed that really affected our heroes in our universe? That really made them think for a moment or reaffirm? And the closest you get is Michael giving her this is what Starfleet does kind of thing speech at the end, which I guess does help because at the beginning she was a bit more like Lorca where she's like, I've got to take action and I've got to shoot first and I don't believe in Starfleet principles because I have my Vulcan logic. That is the closest we get, but I don't know. I feel there's a lot of missed opportunities with Lorca as a character and I've always been iffy on him being a Mirrorverse captain in the first place. I think it's a great idea. But I would have preferred, like I said very early on in the uh, show, would it have been interesting, would it be more interesting, or could it have been more interesting if we followed the journey of one of those ships that did go rogue, did go astray, did stray off their moral values of Starfleet, to, and, and we're watching how a crew like that can justify those actions, and we, the audience, are complicit in the justifications. And the show briefly winks at that idea and then just goes, nah, he's a Mirrorverse captain. And I wonder if it would have been better if he was just a morally corrupt Starfleet mm. captain who saw the way things were and was disillusioned by it. Uh, like, I wonder how they could have approached it better if they did do that. Like, how, do you think we would still have the issues of them fast-forwarding things? Or do you think that if they'd made that decision to be more kind of centred, that we wouldn't have the same sort of problems with the show that we identify? I don't know, honestly. Uh, My ideal version of Discovery with this setup of evil captain in charge is a very focused drama that follows the crew as they make more and more dubious morally dubious decisions until until it reaches a boiling point a breaking point and our hero michael has to make a decision again like she did at the very beginning and that stuff is in here but the way it's executed has never been as interesting to me or at least it falls a little bit more flat especially because of how Lorca just boils down at the end of the episode at the end of his journey he just boils down to Guy who wanted to rule universe and that is far less compelling than a captain or someone who has seen the big picture of where he fits in the thing and he's disillusioned by it and he feels that the federation is fundamentally broken in some way shape or form but instead it is just racist guy don't like other races boring I also would have found it more interesting like I understand that the show really wants to sever the link to Mm. the Terran universe like we're leaving and there's nothing that will take us back Mm. but I really would have liked it if Lorca had 
survived and became the new emperor and mm. the idea that like he's lost the flagship he's already killed Stamets um but he's still there as a potential threat yeah and because I feel like that could have really further developed a lot of the themes that they've been bringing up with the Terrans mm. and what would that actually look like and being able to potentially return to that universe and, like, maybe they get to the point where they're like, okay, we we have a responsibility to go back and help the rebels. He's not looking to make any friends. He's surrounded by hippies and idiots. Uh, he thinks the people in charge of the Federation have no idea what they're doing and only he sees the scale of the threat. Other people might find him to be tough and uh, amoral and uh, and doing whatever is necessary, by any means necessary. Uh, but as far as he's concerned, he's doing what needs to be done. I want to talk about Trump. China. He's just the guy that gets out of bed and sprays himself orange, you know. He doesn't see himself as doing the wrong thing. Dealt with a kind of Trumpian um, Darwinism. It's always been dealing with the cutting edge issue, the most hot-button issues of the day. Future, where are we together? will make the empire glorious again. Lorca is positioned in this particular episode as a Trump figure in some way, shape, or form. Make the empire glorious again. All that kind of Our stuff. Our previous administration has run the empire into, into the, the ground. ground. And we... xenophobia, obviously. And, you know, that kind of uh, a religious figure type aspect that Trump has kind of anointed himself, at least from an outsider perspective. And Blorker plays into this in and this particular episode. Yeah, he's playing up to the crowd a lot. And, and this is what we are presented as... Uh, flaunting the, his power. And this is what we are presented as the real Lorca, this Trump-like figure. What is the commentary... I don't think there really is any. I think it's just that Trump is easy to make fun of. And, or easy to target. Um, yes, easy to target and to uh, draw into things because he's outrageous and he does awful things. And if you make your awful character like Trump, then... Immediately you're elevated because you're now political satire. What? You don't have to say anything. You just have to go, well, we're making this character like Trump to and make you it get, clear. you get it. Like Trump bad. Trump bad. Trump bad. I really do try to think of what is the commentary here with it that is more nuanced than that. And the closest I get is the idea is... In this universe run by xenophobia, fear, the things that Trump has definitely taken advantage of to garner power, we are seeing the reflection upon our society of we can be the Terran Empire if we bow down to people like Mm -hmm. Lorca, if our intrepid crew of Discovery, you know... They could be yeah. like you, the U.S. public, where you guys follow what he says, but do you believe it? You have to stand up at some point or whatever, or you'll become xenophobic, racist, uh, evil people. That's the closest. Mm-hmm. But my question that I'm going to ask you here and now is, and be genuine, really think hard about this. Did they make the Trump allegory a consistent thing for Lorca's character throughout the series. I I don't really think so. I think it is fairly consistent once he turns, once he like flips on his I'm evil switch. So for one episode. Uh <laughs> yeah, I think that it's consistent uh for within, one episode. Within that. No, like not just that, but but like the couple where well when they're in his universe, I feel like it's um Fairly consistent. Mm. But I'm uh, trying to think of, like, I'm like, I don't... Mm. I can't think of anything that actually goes into the Trump allegory in any of the previous episodes. 
I am bothered because there may be some minor moments, but the consistency of Lorca's allegory or characterization hasn't been this Trump thing as strongly as other American military figures throughout history. Like I said, he had kind of a general Patton thing going on, and Patton was a very controversial military figure as well, and he believed in destiny and fate, and, 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 and he took you know, shortcuts and measures and all that. And he kind of represents a lot of other uh, American military figures and or that American uh, militarization complex that they have. The, we can save the thing, we can, we just got to do this military maneuver and things will be solved. Rather than the Trump administration or Trump himself. And that is what's bothersome because I guess you could say... Those two things, the uh, American military complex and Trump, can bleed into one another. And I'm sure there is a lot of crossover. But to really amplify or exemplify that crossover of those two things, you need to be really well done in your execution of it. And in this, it is just he flips and now he's evil man Trump. While the rest of the time he was more of these military figures like your general patents or whatever who who see the see the world in a certain way and they think that they can fix it it goes from one characterization suddenly to another and because that first characterization was actually him pretending we shouldn't take any of that into account i guess but then why did we spend so long doing that then other than for the rug to be pulled out from underneath you. If we're not supposed to take any of that on board anymore, all the merits of that stuff immediately get thrown out with the bathwater. So all the merits of the Lorca and Cornwall stuff is non-existent now because it means nothing. And many things like that. And that is what I do not like about this episode is it throws out the dramatic heft with it. And we say this because we weren't with the dramatic heft of the episode. I I think I just wanted to give it a little bit of credit. I do too, but I just But it it yeah, like I I can find it in some other places, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fairly sit with that. But you want the speech to resonate with people enough not that they go, Yes, I recognise those awful people right. who talk like that. But I recognise the times that I think like that. Right. Yeah. So when Lorca's going, look, it's ridiculous, this social experiment. Not all races, not all people, not all brains are equal. Some people are better and more capable than others. And the strong should lead. You want a bunch of people to be watching thinking, geez, I, I thought that this morning or I said that. Or sometimes I feel that when I look at other races or religions or whatever. You don't want it to seem other. You want it to seem... You know, uh, the worst part of ourselves, if we're not careful. We also talked about earlier in the season that Klingons felt more like fundamentalist Islam. But a lot of people say that, no, the Klingons are Trump America and the Tukuvma was was Trump. If that is true and if that is the case and you believe that and I'm not disagreeing, Mm. there are images there. Yeah. What is the I want to I want someone to answer this. What is the point of having them be a Trump allegory and these people be a Trump allegory? What is the point of doubling up and do either of them communicate a coherent enough point? I don't think so and I think a part of it as as well is just that they CBS was never going to go all in on all access. Uh, all in on CBS all access. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I had to. I had to. Twice though. Three times a lady. Go on. Like CBS was never gonna go fully against Trump. There was just they have a market. That yeah, like, but they were. Not going to make a strong stance, so yeah. we we're never really gonna have much of a chance of a, a fully developed allegory, as well as a critique, as a critique, as as well as it just being in the context of its discovery, and they don't do much very well, yeah. and they would have to do it very well and consistently. And with a point. And with a point, and that's just not something that we 
are getting. What is the communicate? What are they trying to communicate that the Trump figure, that is the Klingons, is hateful and is hated by the Trump figure that is Lorca? What's that communicating? What's that saying? So we've got Klingons. They represent Trump. We've got Lorca. He represents Trump. Klingons do not like Lorca for what he represents. They do not like Lorca for his values and his beliefs and what he represents. Lorca is Trump. He does not like the Klingons for their values, their beliefs, what they represent. If the values and beliefs and what they represent for the both of them, wait, for the both of them are Trump, what does that mean? Seriously, what does that mean? This only ever hurts us. Trying to think about it and trying to piece it together, I swear, only hurts us. I know, but you're being defeatist. But seriously, (laughs) think about it like that. What does that actually say? If both of them are Trump and they both represent the same thing and they both are aligned against each other, what is that actually saying? What it could say is how hate only begets hate and that there is no logic behind prejudice and you can always find a reason to draw lines in the sand and to be either isolationists or aggressive like that could be it that hate is its own reckoning and that it destroys those who hold those values, as well as those societies cannot be sustained on hate. If we see the Terran Empire fall because of hatred or because maybe that like Giorgio realizes that she's about to lose the empire, so she does like a Starfleet maneuver to like warrant her ticket into our universe. But she doesn't. No. How do we make something that could potentially be silly or was silly fun but silly? Yeah. And how do we make it actually cool? And the answer is very simple. Give them leather to wear. Let's talk about our Discovery crew. They did stuff in the episode. Yeah. The only thing I enjoyed was... A few background characters were allowed to do a little bit more and come into the forefront. Don't know their names, though. Um, they said them a few times. Arium. Reeves. Oh, uh, 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 Detma. She's the redhead lady. Others. They're not characters, though. No. They are there. They're them. But they but got, they're not characters. They, they got to play a little bit. They got to act. They got to make facial expressions and go, oh, boy. Yeah. The only One thing of them I... got to be exploded. I... Mm-hmm. The only thing I really enjoyed in the discovery uh, plot of this was Captain Saru taking charge. That was the only thing I liked. It was a follow through on his season long journey, which is leadership. Yeah. As I said, I would have loved if that was the focus more throughout the season, mm-hmm. so that this pay payoff here, where he felt like a payoff. Felt more of an earned payoff. It definitely does feel like a payoff, especially these last few episodes seeing him. But I really wish that there was a bit of a more hefty... I I just wish that it was a more deeply explored aspect of the series because that is where my interests are. I like the idea of Saru learning what leadership is. And this episode he does the nice job of. You could hear him making his reactions to fear and death and all of that, and he ignores them and he pushes them and he goes, no, we can do this. We don't accept a a no-win scenario, which is great. I loved his speech. Mm -hmm. One criticism of his speech. Yeah. Music. The music in this episode was very intrusive. I don't know if you felt that. It was very obnoxiously telling you how to feel it was always on when people were talking, and I just kind of wish that it was, hey, 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 let the scene play out. You don't need the music here. You don't always need the swelling score to inform the audience how to feel. Let the performer, let the words that you have written on the page tell us. Yeah. The moment where I really didn't like it, was actually the moment where it kind of made the most sense, which is when Stamets is going back through the network and the opera is playing. 
Oh, you didn't like that part of the Discovery story? I, I didn't. Oh, you're talking about the actual music. Right, yeah. right, right, right. right. I, like, I didn't like how that continued to weave into the score. In we'll a, leave that part like, for the just, Hudar, though. That's a Hugh-related yeah, thing. Yeah, but that particular scene, I just felt like the music overall, because it kind of, like... It was very they obnoxious. They to the score where I felt like... It would have been more interesting if it had evolved from the moment instead of just being kind of clipped in and clipped out because it feels like, okay, we've got like this long of a Uh, clip and we're going to plonk it in because it needs to be there and we're going to edit around it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than it feeling as emotional as they think that it is because they're like remember it's their thing i do have one other thing about the speech the speech itself is great i actually enjoyed it doug jones delivers the heck out of it when you actually get to see him on screen uh because lots of it is reaction shots and spinning cameras behind him working hard i do not care for the fact that after the monologue is done Paul and Tilly keep reiterating what the point of the monologue was after when they're solving the problems of Saru was right. Right about what, Tilly? No win scenarios. I don't accept them. And then Paul's like, brilliant idea. Here's the techno babble. And then he goes, that's right. No win scenarios. We don't believe in it. We get that. That was the point of the monologue. The monologue was to inspire us, the us, the audience, and them, the crew, that we can overcome a no win scenario. That was fine. Did we need them to keep saying it and then go up to Saru and tell him the plan and he goes, you guys did it. We figured out there's no win scenario. We got it. The, the rest of the stuff with the Discovery, it was cute. It was fine. I liked the back and forth with Saru and Lorca. It was very fun. They had a lot of things. Them coming back to our universe. Uh, the only thing I will say about it is I'm very glad they didn't do the dumb thing that I thought they were going to do the first time, which is when they introduced that they could come back at a different period of time, mm-hmm. I remember immediately going, oh no, they're going to go to before the war happened and they're going to stop the war from happening and Giorgio will be alive and they're going to undo everything. And they didn't do that. Thank God. Thank dear God they didn't do that. I was really worried they were going to do that the first time. But they didn't, Rachel. Uh, they didn't. Uh, and then we get threatened. Why would that be worse, though? Why would that be worse? Why because would it would be undo worse? the point of everything we've done throughout the whole entire season of the show. It would have made the Klingon War even more pointless. Mm-hmm. It would have made all the stuff with Giorgio completely redundant. But all of Michael's journey. Then we get two. And then all of Michael's journey would have been for nothing. The evil Lorca would be around still because we think, we don't know the exact time at the moment, but they say he arrived in our universe a year before and we don't know with what time period we are right now in this episode if that is before the war or just after i don't roughly know last i remember we were like nine months out from the war last i recollect so um i don't mind the idea actually i don't know how you feel about them using the spores and the photon torpedoes to get through i thought that was fine i thought you know it's a cool idea the way that they explain it i don't what bubble uh, yeah, they just said things that meant nothing, and I'm like, okay, well, this is just happening. The, the ship's shields still aren't strong enough to protect us unless we modify the spore drive to run concurrently with the warp drive. The resulting warp bubble may provide a secondary layer of protection, a shield from the blast. What do you? What did you think when Michael brought evil Giorgio onto the ship the first time? Because you liked her. When we were watching it initially, so were you like, what was you? Do you remember your kind of attitude at the time with that choice? I remember mostly just being frustrated, um, which I was again this time because, like, you realize before Michael does that she's gonna bring Giorgio back, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. You know that she's going to grab her. Yeah. Because it's Michael. She has mum issues. Yeah, she does. Don't worry, Um, season two will really get into mummy issues. Don't you fucking worry, Red Angel. Go to town on those mummy issues. Spock, we're talking to you too, buddy. You got mum issues as well. We'll explore those season two, buddy. Yeah. So I remember being frustrated by that because it's just like as soon as um, the saying, like this... Like, they're trying to get a hold of her signal. It's just like, okay, grab grab Georgia and leave. Like, you're you're not gonna... You have said, and over and over again, that, like, you don't want to let her down and you won't watch her die again. But were you curious of what they were then going to do with her? Because the question then is, well, what's going to be of this character? How is this going to be implemented in the show? What is... What are going to be the ramifications of bringing what is the equivalent of a Genghis Khan slash Hitler into the show? Uh, because Lorca, as bad as he was, he was just an insurgent. He wasn't. Uh, yeah. He wasn't fucking Hitler. Uh, she is literally Hitler. Yeah. She's Genghis Khan. She is a fucking butcher. Mm-hmm. I. I was fairly defeated. But when we were doing our original watch, so I was just like, well, they're not going to do anything with her. You were wrong, weren't you? I, I, you know what? I didn't go, yeah, she's going to join Section 31. Or put a bomb in their planet, whatever, we'll get there. Yeah. I... She, she, she reuses her plan. I remember vividly being surprised. Being like, oh, they're going to bring her into the show? Okay. I kind of don't want that, though. I remember definitely my feeling was, I don't want to see more of her. She was great for what we had, but I don't want to... I don't want more of this. And the show said, (laughs) Ryan, there's going to be more of her. And not only are there going to be more of her, we're going to fall in love with her character and write for her character in a more and more exaggerated sense as the show goes on. This time watching it, I looked at the scene and I said to myself, they had a perfect ending for her right there. Yeah, when, when she's they just didn't like, take it, huh? They didn't take it. When she's just like, um, I will die in a manner fitting my station. On my feet. She's like, I am resigned. I'm following through. I will be terrorin to my death. And I will stand by my values. And then there's a stripped away from her. And that could be interesting. But the problem is she is a two-dimensional character. She is... That is, and that's the goal of the Mirrorverse characters is they're, they're two-dimensional in a way because they are just the the evil version. And you can have nuances with them, but for the most part, it's always fun as a visit. I have no future now, but I will die on my feet as fitting my station. Go, Michael Burnham. Find a way home. I think I hear the Huda. Are you ready for some Hugh discussion? It's the Huda. What, what's the Huda, Rachel? Just remind us all. So, the Huda is the section of this show where we discuss the wonderful, beautiful, fully developed, fleshed out, embodied character of Dr. Hugh Colbert. What was his contribution in this episode? What happened with him in this episode? They reused footage from the last episode. That's important to note. That was um, it. That was it. No, no, that was it. <laughs> they reused footage of last episode's key phrases to let Paul know and us, the audience, because we're dumb, to yes. know that, oh, this is how they get out of the pickle that they're in. And then Paul can Not. go, oh, it's the clearing in the forest. I got it. Thanks, you. In an extreme close-up with very red lighting. And sweat. And sweat. I have got to ask you this. Mm-hmm. The way he says thank you, Hugh, at the end kind of implies that not only is he thanking him for the advice, but it's more that he's... It came across to me, even though I know how the story goes, that it was a 
a proper farewell to Hugh. Like this yeah. is a we're closing the book on this character now. He's done. You're like you know, we'll never forget him. But you know, thank you, Hugh. And it felt like a conclusion. We know that isn't the case, but did you get that feeling? Um, I did a little bit. Um, in not fully in terms of like the show is like closing that chapter. I mean, they would have to have opened it as a show to close it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, honey, that no, they they think that they opened it. Uh, uh, excuse matter. me, uh, excuse me, Star Trek. This is uh, your publisher here, and I'm noting down that you've sent your manuscript. But I'm I'm see a chapter title here called Doctor Hugh Culper, but uh, I don't know if your file's corrupted because I don't see anything there. Could you could you give me that chapter? Like uh... <laughs> that's how it feels. It's kind of like mm. ooh, where's that? Um, we're missing that Hugh stuff. Like you have a connect to Paul stuff, but. Lacking that huge chapter here. We need that chapter, okay? And the, and they were like, ooh, we can't because we wrote a chapter with Klingon titties and um, we reached our word count on that. So can't give you that huge chapter, but uh, you'll sort it out. Yeah, it'll make sense later. It felt like a conclusion to me and um, I would have been satisfied I... with that as a conclusion. Honestly, I'm like, okay, oh, look, yeah. they didn't do much work with him as a character, but hey. It's a nice, solemn kind of goodbye, farewell. It's not as melodramatic. It's still a little bit over the top, but it's not absurd. It's kind of somber, sweet. And it is not that uncommon in films or TV shows for a character to be more important and more fleshed out after their death. Like, it matters more that they're not alive anymore than, than when they were alive when they yeah. were alive like that's that would have been that upsetting unusual. still because it's still a barrier gaze but yeah it is what it is uh, we always felt like in terms of this storytelling that the relationship between dr colbert and stamets would actually start to gather a lot of um followers and a lot of investment now of course we didn't yeah. we didn't predict that it would happen the minute that we sort of saw them brushing their teeth so and it's so a really it, great it, surprise yeah, yeah like we're, we're so, thrilled so, so uh, it, it's almost like people are, are people jumped in <laughs> you jumped in a little early <laughs> uh, no but uh but but we really do see this as the first as as really the the catalyst to really start exploring that relationship where do you land are you on a yum meaning bad a yum yum being good no half yums allowed no, no, no. Wow, I really want to give it a half yum, though. Wow, that bad, huh? Because it's... Just it's half yum, just, not even a full yum. It didn't... <laughs> I, I'm not sure exactly where I, I land, because it didn't make me angry. Um, It was just nothing. So I guess I have to go a, a yum. I give it a yum as well. It is a poor conclusion or at least a very dissatisfying one for where so much of the narrative has been going, especially with Lorca's stuff. I still lament that we didn't get what I personally wanted, but that isn't necessarily a weakness of the show, but it did present that there could have been something more there. But unfortunately... It could have we been, gotta, but it wasn't. could have been, but it wasn't, but Trump's bad, so remember that. It's a yum. Yeah. Next episode, what are we up for? What are we going to be viewing? Another beautiful, pretentious... Oh, sorry, I mean poetic. Sorry. It's fate. It's <laughs> destiny. I was uh, destined by fate. And do you believe in fate and destiny? Destiny. Destiny and fate. Destiny's child, fate's father, fate and destiny, well, Lor- destiny and fate. Lorca was living proof that fate is real. That poetic, was, yeah. poetic, justice. I hate poetry. Fate. That was this episode, by the way. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's entitled, uh, The War Without the War Within. The War Without the War Within. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um... So, this episode's description is, Burnham and the crew are faced with the harsh reality of the war during their absence. In order to move forward, Starfleet must use unconventional tactics and sources to take their next action against the Klingons. 
Isn't it funny that the Klingons were introduced and perceived as this huge threat that we had to worry about, but the, we're at this point and you're kind of like, oh yeah, the Klingon wars. Like, when at the end they were like, the Klingons have won the war. You're like, oh yeah, the mm. war, right. Oh, we'll talk uh, okay. about the war so next time. It, yeah, it is a little bit like, oh, okay, so we're still doing this. We're still doing this, okay. Oh, uh, I, I thought you were going to take me out. And mm. it's just like the war is over. And no, like, no, that's not enough, Rachel. That's not enough. It's never enough. But what is enough is for the listening people out there to rate, review us on all those podcatchers available. Please. Five stars only. We don't accept no half stars. <laughs> only yum yums for us. You out there can also find us on those social medias: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. Mm-hmm. We post stuff on there. You can talk to us on there. Join in conversations. Share some memes, I guess. Uh, We are always on there. Those things. We have our email, yumyumpod at gmail.com, in which you can email us with your thoughts, queries, concerns, and so on. Uh, We're always up for talking to you and all that great stuff. We have a Patreon in which we have some bonus exclusive content stuff in which we have further thoughts on some TV shows like that of Futurama or Doctor Who and some other stuff like that. We talk about some other Star Trek, whether it be the movies or some of the best and worst episodes of other Star Trek series like that of TNG, DS9 and so on. Uh, Rachel? Yes? Thank you for being extra yummy. <laughs> <laughs>